Let's bow together in prayer. Every eye closed, every head bowed. Let's pray. This is a prayer from Isaac Watts, hymn writer from a long time ago. Come, Holy Spirit, heavenly dove, with all thy quickening powers, kindle a flame of sacred love in these cold hearts of ours. Lord, we do pray that this morning you would kindle a sacred flame. We pray, Lord, that you would inspire us, motivate us, renew our commitment to you, Lord. We pray, Lord, that you would cause us to repent of our sins, to take out of our lives the things that prevent you from using us for your glory. We pray, Lord, that if we are not sure who you are and are uncertain as to whether we can even believe this Christian message, we pray, Lord, that you would break down those barriers and cause us to see the truth. Lord, all these things are spiritual work, a spiritual work. So we pray, come, Holy Spirit, and do what we cannot do through your word, the sword of the Spirit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So friends, turn with me to that word. We're looking at John chapter 9. It's a, it's a fairly long story, but I'm going to read it all out because it's such a good story and because... It hangs together, really, as one message. And so though, you know, it's actually 41 verses, this is John chapter 9, um, though it's 41 verses, do not be afeared. It's not necessarily 410 minutes sermon. Um, it's, it's a story. Stories have a, a warp and a woof to them. They have an arc to them. They have a an empathy to them. They have a, a tone to them. You need to pick up and hear as it's, as it's read. So John chapter 9, beginning of verse 1, Jesus has, has left the temple. He's been in this lengthy conflict with the Pharisees. And now he's walking along and he comes across a blind man. So John chapter 9, verse 1. As Jesus passed by, He saw a man blind from birth, and his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he spat on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with the mud and said to him, Go, wash in the pool of salam, which means scent. So he went and washed and came back seeing. 
The neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, Isn't this the man who used to sit and beg? Some said, It's he. Others said, No, but he's like him. He kept saying, I am the man. So they said to him, Then how were your eyes opened? He answered, The man called Jesus made mud and anointed my eyes and said to me, Go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. They said to him, Where is he? He said, I don't know. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Now it was a Sabbath day when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and I washed and I see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was a division among them. So they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? He said, he's a prophet. The Jews did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they called the parents of the man who received his sight and asked them, is this your son who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? His parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind, but how he now sees we do not know, nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him, he is of age, he will speak for himself. His parents said these things because they feared the Jews, for the Jews had already agreed that if anyone should confess Jesus to be Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Therefore his parents said, he is of age, ask him. So for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give Glory to God. That is a very firm and official way of insisting that someone tells the truth. Give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already and you would not listen. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you also want to become his disciples? And they reviled him saying, you are his disciple, but we are disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we do not know where he comes from. The man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened the eyes of a man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin. Would you teach us? And they cast him out. Jesus heard that they had cast him out, and having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? He answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. He said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. Jesus said, for judgment I came into this world that those who do not see may see and those who see may become blind. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we 
also blind? Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. But now that you say we see, your guilt remains. Have you ever felt as you observe the suffering of this world that you cannot see what God is up to? There are many reasons to wonder. June 2016, it was estimated that in the last 1,260 days, there have been 1,000 mass shootings. 1,000 estimated and accounted for by four or more shootings, not including the shooter. You only have to work in a hospital. And see the pain of a child suffering. Or the pain of a parent watching a child suffer. Or read the news. And see that video of children streaming into a hospital. Who apparently have been the victim of some kind of chemical attack. What do we say to these things? It's very common to say what exactly they were saying then. The fault must be either in the individual, or perhaps in his parents, the man who had been born blind, perhaps he had had some kind of innate sin in his mother's womb, in his mind somehow. Or maybe it had been his parents who had done something wrong. So therefore their child was, was cursed with this disability. It's very common to give that kind of answer. The reason why these horrible things happen to certain people is because they're horrible people. Because they've done horrible things. Because they've made mistakes. Because they're not running their economy in the right kind of way. Because they don't have the right philosophy of life. Because they don't have the right mentality. Because, well... The reason why you lost your job at work is because, frankly, you're not a very nice person. It's your fault. Of course, sometimes bad things happen to us because we do bad things. Sometimes the reason why we get into a wreck when we're driving is because we drive badly. But other times, there's a man born blind. And what is the answer to that? And as a religious person, as someone who believes in God in some shape or form, we seem to be faced with a conundrum. If God is good, and if he is all-powerful, why then is there evil and suffering in this world? And therefore... Because we do not want to say that God is somehow the cause of suffering, we say it's someone else's fault. 
their fault, their problem. And then comes Jesus. It was not this man who sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You see, it is thought by so many people that suffering is a conundrum for Christianity, but actually Suffering is a confirmation of the Christian worldview and points to the Christian gospel. We worship a Christ who suffered. And in this passage, there's all this dynamic of this man who is born blind but is healed, all intended to show us that the works of God might be displayed in him, that suffering is not a counter-message to the truth of Christianity, but a confirmation of the gospel. It's intended to teach us that we can see spiritually when we believe that Jesus is Lord, even even in suffering. Let's see how that works out as the story goes on. There's the blind man, the Pharisees, and then Jesus. First, the blind man. The blind man sees, he says, and he believes. The blind man, that he is seeing, of course, is a miracle. The Christian faith was born in miracle and progresses by the miracle of new birth every day. I once was blind and now I see, as the famous him, amazing grace, puts it. John Newton, the author, reflecting on this very text. And that, of course, is the confession of every real Christian. I once was lost, but now am found. Was blind, but now I see. But not only is it the confession of every Christian, it is the practice of Christianity. Physical healing is driven by Christian commitments. The inpatient medical care in what we today consider a hospital was motivated by Christian mercy beginning in the Eastern Empire under the influence of Christian principles. Everywhere that Christians have been, they've left behind them three institutions, schools, churches, and hospitals. It happened as there was 10 or 15 years of plague throughout the ancient empire when the Romans sacrificed to the gods, unable to know what was the cause of this. I'm hugely frustrated for this ongoing plague. They left the cities, but the Christians stayed They stayed. They spent millions helping poor people. They suffered with them. Prominent historian of medicine, Henry Sigarist, said that Christianity introduced the most revolutionary and decisive change in the attitude of society towards the sick, giving sick people a preferential position, which they still hold today. They're made in the image of God, and we follow Jesus, who healed the sick. Therefore, we must be practically involved with Modern slavery with the sick today. Historian Gary Ferguson says that this attitude led to the creation of the hospital as a uniquely Christian institution. 
Friends, we should never be embarrassed to pray in a hospital. You know, I visit a lot of people in hospital. You go in there, and there's all these machines and all, all that. And you walk in, and the doctor's there, and I, being a pastor, will say, well, we should pray. And you can see the doctor thinking, oh, here comes the religious person. What a lot of nonsense. Soon the practical stuff will happen. Never be embarrassed to pray in a hospital. If it were not for Christian prayers and Christian preaching and Christian practice, there would be no hospitals. That's their foundation. Jesus is the healer. Well, the ancients had physicians too. For the rich, they had pagan temples where you could go if you were sick, but they did not have hospitals, not in the sense in which we know that word. He sees. He says. The middle section of our text recounts a long, sometimes deeply amusing encounter between the blind man and the Pharisees. Through it all, the blind man gives unwavering witness to the fact that he was healed. He shows considerable and admirable chutzpah. Have I have told you already, and you did not listen. Why do you want to hear again? Do you also want to become his disciples? Those who come to see say. They give witness to what has happened to them. And this again has been a characteristic of individuals and communities influenced by Christ down through the centuries. And it can characterize you today, you Christian. You need not be silent. You don't need a PhD in theology. You don't need a master's in theology. You don't need an undergraduate in theology. You do not need to have gone through all the Sunday school classes and read all the right books before you can speak of what Jesus has done for you. All you need to say is what the blind man said. I don't know the answer to that question, but I can tell you this. I was blind. Now I see. Perhaps in the most famous person in church history who gave that kind of testimony was Polycarp facing martyrdom surrounded by people urging him to recant his faith in Jesus he said this 86 years have I been his servant and he has done me no wrong how then can I blaspheme my king who saved me You too can have that kind of courage built into your life this morning as you follow the example of the blind man who sees, he says, and he believes. Verse 38, then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. What about you? Do you believe? Do you believe like this? The blind man, then the Pharisees. The Pharisees are so different. They resist, they reject, and they refuse. When the man is brought to them, they start to ask him questions, not to discover the truth, but to resist discovering the truth. At the start, some are wondering whether Jesus could actually have done this, and therefore, perhaps, but pretty soon, they move on to refusing to accept. And then they reject altogether. And they expel him from the synagogue. 
proud Pharisee. There's none so blind as those that think they see. You can lead a horse to water, but you cannot make him drink. The one surefire way to stop growing spiritually is to think you have nothing more to learn. Jonathan Edwards, in his early days preaching at his church in Northampton, once complained to one of his friends that his people were, he said, sermon-proof. He said this, one under the influence of spiritual pride is more apt to instruct others than to inquire for himself and naturally puts on the airs of a master. Whereas one full of pure humility naturally has on the air of a disciple. Well, they're the masters. You were born in utter sin and dare you teach us? The guy was blind and now he sees. How blind can you be? So easy, isn't it? To resist, refuse, and reject Christian truth. A proud person can listen to Billy Graham preach, watch Martin Luther King march, observe William Wilberforce campaign against slavery, and still resist, reject, and refuse the work of Jesus. What do we do with pride? Well, pride can be defeated three ways. Providence can humiliate a man so that in his misfortune he turns to God in repentance, as happened to Nebuchadnezzar in the Old Testament, who was eating grass like an ox, and then worshipped God. Perhaps that's happening to you. Perhaps you are suffering because it is, as C.S. Lewis put it, God's megaphone to a deaf world. Wake up, God is saying. He will not let you go quietly to hell. He's warning you. Circumstances can break our pride. Strong words can do too. Sometimes they can penetrate the steel-like thick skin and we turn to God in repentance as happened with Nicodemus earlier in this gospel. Jesus said to him, you are the teacher of Israel and you don't know these things? He came to Jesus, I think the gospel suggests, in humility and faith by the end. But there is another approach, and that is the approach of this text. Humor. Do you also want to be his disciples? Or as Jesus says at the end, if you were blind, you would not be guilty of sin. But now that you claim, you can see your guilt remains. In other words, don't be so ridiculous. This is a constant theme of Jesus' throughout his ministry. He says, it is not 
the healthy that need the doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous to repentance, but sinners. Well, of course, we're all sinners. We're all spiritually blind. But if we will not admit that we are blind, then we cannot be healed. We will not trust him. Judgment, I've come into this world that the blind will see and the sea will see, those who see will, will be blind. In other words, it will expose the, the truth of what's actually going on in our heart when Jesus comes to town. It brings it to a pinnacle of concentration. When the Son of God himself appears, it is blatantly obvious what we really think about God. And this story is just so funny. They bring him one time and another time and another time and another time. And what do you say? And we'll get his parents. And it's just almost slapstick humor. It reminds me of the um, story of the woman who went up to a pastor after church one Sunday morning. You know, you have sometimes quite interesting conversations as a pastor after you preach. Sometimes people will come up to you and say something entirely unrelated with the sermon. You think to yourself, okay, that was either really bad or their mind was really on something else or maybe I should get a job as a plumber or something. And every now and then someone comes up to you who is really touched by the grace of Christ. And for that moment, it's worth it all. Well, this woman came up to this pastor after church one Sunday morning. And I suppose the pastor had been preaching on sin and the need to repentance to, to repent or something like that. And the woman said to the pastor, You know, Pastor, I haven't sinned for ten years. To which the pastor said, You must be rather proud about that. <laughs> and she said, Well, yes, I am, actually. How blind can you be? A blind person can listen to Billy Graham preach. Watch William Wilberforce campaign against slavery. Be a part of Martin Luther King marching against racism. And still think Nothing's happening. A blind man can miss it when Jesus comes to town. Do you think this whole building, this whole place, all the, all the staff, all the activity is, is simply a human thing? I can tell you that is not the case. I sit in the meetings. I watch the, the budget I know the prayers. The church of God marches forward on its knees. And you think it's, it's nothing? This moment right now could be all so that you would finally see. See what? Well, see who Jesus is. 
Jesus is light, he is love, and he is Lord. Jesus says famously, verse 5, I am the light of the world. Now, he's still the light of the world, but while he was there physically in flesh in that place, then that light was especially magnified, and therefore there was an emphasis, a need to do everything they could to, to proclaim the gospel while Christ was with them. We have the same urgency today. One day Christ will return, and then none of us can do any work to save people. That should be enough to get you out of bed early the next morning, to get you on your knees tonight. There's a time coming where it will be impossible to preach the gospel, impossible to evangelize your neighbor, impossible to do any gospel work, for Christ would have returned. But now he is the light of the world. He is light. He brings clarity to the confused, insight to the bamboozled, direction to those who lost their way. Are you wanting to find out what to do with your your life? Go to Jesus. So you need an answer to a perplexing question? Go to Jesus. Do you feel you cannot see what God is up to? Go to Jesus. At the feet of Jesus, there is light that will shine truth even in the middle of unanswered and troubling questions. Why? That the works of God might be displayed. The evil problem of human suffering in all its unmitigated grossness and horror has light shining upon it from the face that was crowned with a crown of thorns and in whose hands had nails driven through them. That man, that blind man saved that the works of God might be displayed so much more was Christ put on a cross with all his suffering, that the works of God might be displayed. Our suffering is not a counter to Christian truth. It's a confirmation of Christian truth. We worship the God with scars on his hands. Can you really say that God does not care? Can you really say that your pain matters not to God when God himself took hell for you? Can you really say this life of yours is meaningless when he bought your life with the price of his own blood? That's how much meaning your life has. There is light, but there is also love. We've not examined the strange technique that Jesus used to heal the blind man. It is, un, uh, it is unusual. He could have spoken a word and the man would have been healed, which was Jesus' technique at other times. He could have merely said, see, and he would have seen. Jesus certainly had the power. The incarnate Logos who spoke, let there be light at the beginning of creation, could surely have said, let there be light, and this man would have seen But no, he touches the man. He uses his own saliva. He makes mud out of all the dirt. Touches the man's eyes with those hands and tells him to go and wash publicly in a place where many people coming to Jerusalem would have gathered for its fresh water and there, no longer estranged, no longer shamed, no longer untouchable, silence the whispers, what did this man do? 
Was it him or his parents that he is blind from birth? No longer the evil of evil, which is the evil of being blamed for suffering evil. Job's comforters silenced. Now Jesus touches him and publicly shows him healed. He lovingly touches him. Oh, those divine human hands propelled by love to enact a drama of acceptance to this alienated blind man. How Jesus loves. He does not merely heal him physically. He saves him spiritually. He does not merely enable him to see with his physical eyes by touching him. He expresses to this blind man that he is loved. And so he can stand before the court, a proud Pharisee. And with admirable chutzpah, give testimony. One thing I know, once I was blind, now I see. For Jesus is light, and he is love, and he is Lord. Then the man said, Lord, I believe, and he worshipped him. The Pharisee will not bow before Jesus, but the blind man will. How about you? He is light, and he is love, but he must be Lord if you are to experience him this morning. He will not save if he does not rule. Have you ever felt, as you've observed all the suffering of this world, that you cannot see what God is doing? Everyone can see spiritually when you believe in the Lord Jesus that the works of God might be displayed. The blind man sees, says, and believes. The Pharisees resist, reject, refuse. How about you? Jesus is light, he is love, but he must be your Lord. Everyone can see spiritually when you believe in Jesus as Lord, therefore bow before him as your Lord today. Our Father God, we do bow in your presence. Perhaps there's someone here who is deeply suffering. Perhaps that person has also experienced others say to them, it is your fault, or insinuated it is their fault. Would you comfort that person, Lord, I pray? That you have a purpose in their suffering. that you might give witness to your saving power, Lord, and say, once I was blind, but now I see. Our Father God, we're not afraid to pray for physical healing. 
You are a God who does heal still today. And we pray that you would. At the same time, Lord, we also know that you do not heal everyone. Otherwise, none would die. And we know in your sovereign wisdom, sometimes healing is not what we really need physically. We need spiritual healing. For there is an eternity. And this world is merely a pilgrimage. And you will not let us be blind to the fact that this place, this this world is not our home. You won't let us get too comfortable. So we pray, Lord, for spiritual healing above all. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you would save some this morning. Lord, I pray, Lord, that you'd rescue some from doubt and despair as they look at their own suffering. Help them to have eyes to see you, Jesus, who took all the pain, all the sin, all the wrath of God for them. What an amazing grace it is, our Lord. We love you because you first loved us. And we bow before you as our Lord and Savior. In the name of Jesus, amen.